So go ahead and uh, pull out your Rock Church pens and your message guide notes. Um, just kind of give you a heads up. Our services are just going to kind of look a little different over the sermon series. Towards the end, we're going to have a time of worship, uh, really a time for us to respond to what we've heard, especially as we go through these hymns. Like I said, a lot of them are so rich with theology and a lot of great message of who God is, what he's about, what he wants for you. And it's just an amazing, amazing time to really see the core of these hymns that the churches have sang for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, I don't know about you, but it seems uh, it's my it's kind of my natural response. And I'm not saying this to brag on myself or I'm saying like I'm the super holy guy. Um, but I whenever whenever I find myself in a pickle, like I'm like a bad pickle, um, a song kind of enters my voice. And uh, I don't sing out loud and all that crazy stuff. I don't go crazy and just, you know, all that. But what I'm trying to say is um, when my back is against the wall, I end up seeing something. And more times than not, it's a hymn that I know. Uh, In fact, I remember one time, uh, I've talked about this before, and I don't give every detail about this event because there's always little things here and there. Uh, But I was in a really bad car accident when I was young. And I remember singing a song. Not singing, but more like humming one, like we just heard there. uh, Just singing a hymn. Um, and it was Come Thy Fountain is, uh, is one of my favorite hymns. And as a young 10-year-old, that was in my head. And I believe when we learn these songs that we sing and you really commit them to your heart and commit them to your memory, um, they inhabit you. They inhabit you. And it's, it becomes a natural response. And this is my prayer for you as your pastor, that when your backup is against the wall, the first thing that you do is that you would sing to God that you would just shout to God, that you cry out to God, that that would actually be a natural response for you. And so this is why we're going through this, and this is why we're starting this new series called How Sweet the Sound. And at the very end, we're going to come in with a kind of a modern rendition of the hymn, and we're going to sing our praises to God. Amen. We're going to respond to him. How many of you guys know our God wants to hear your voices? Come on, church. Our God wants to hear your voices. He wants to hear the praises leave from your lips. And not because he's a God that he likes to glorify himself, but he's a God that he wants to see his glory shine through you. And the way that we do that is through worship. And that is why we push worship so hard uh, at this church. A lot of times we've kind of fought against this thing where where we come with uh, this part of this is a separate sermon, um, but I feel like I need to say this this morning, that as the world changes, we need to stick when we go into worship, that we enter God's presence and we sing to him. We sing to him. A lot of times now, churches have kind of turned into this service where we kind of just watch, and it's kind of consuming a consumerism service, if you will, that we're here just to take in, take in, take in. But we are created so that we can actually give back. And when we come here, I believe church should be all about when we come that we give back to God what he's blessed us through this entire week. All the good things, even the bad things. And God, I'm going to praise you. In fact, I remember, and this is why I challenge especially you guys in the room, as we enter worship and as we go into these hymns and we go back into these songs, I encourage you, if it's even if, if it's in your repertoire or you just don't do it or maybe your hands just like your pockets a lot, I encourage you, I encourage you, lift your hands high. Lift your hands high. There's something that changes in your spirit when you lift your hands high and say, Lord, I give up. I need you. In fact, I challenge you. A lot of people do this. Some of it comes naturally to us. But some of this, I have to do this when even I don't feel like it. Because it corrects my spirit and it tunes myself with what God is trying to do in my life. And so I encourage you guys, lift your hands high to God. 
I will tell you, as this world keeps on progressing, it's going to get harder and harder for us to get in that posture of surrender because the whole world's telling us, don't surrender. Don't do that. Do the opposite. I encourage you guys this morning to surrender to God. Surrender to God. And this is why we're going into these hymns. And so uh, before, we, uh, before we really get to preaching here, I know we got in there just a little bit, um, I want to share uh, a couple of moments I like to call idiot moments. <laughs> idiot moments. I, 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 that, that's not a cuss word in my vocabulary, so hopefully that's not in yours. But how many of you guys just ever felt like, yep, I'm an idiot? Like you've done so? Come on now. Man, my goodness, you guys are the most perfect church in this whole world. <laughs> yeah, he's got two hands. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm the biggest idiot here. Uh, no, I've had those moments, and I just want to share a couple idiot moments that I've had to kind of lead into where we're going. Uh, let me give you a glimpse of how preachers work. Even preachers can be idiots, but I'm going to share an idiot time that I had during a funeral service. Worst time to have an idiot moment. Let, before I do that, let me give you how preachers prepare for a service, or at least how I was taught. Uh, more times than not, uh, a few of us pastors, we have about uh, you know four to five messages that we save for funeral times. And the reason we do that is because funerals are unexpected. Um, they kind of interrupt our schedule. And so a lot of times I get a phone call and say, hey, this is so-and-so funeral services. Uh, someone passed away. Would you be willing to do their funeral? And so, of course, more times than not, we say yes. And I go through my little uh, category of funeral services. I meet with uh, the family, and we plug in their, all their information, all that stuff. And in fact, some really good pastors, the one I was taught by, uh, he actually had in his, uh, in his iPad all the, the name of the deceased highlighted, and just by the click of a button, he can just swap their names in and out. And so just give you a little backstory. So we do that. I do that. It's, it's really easy, and it, it helps you kind of keep on track with where everything's going. And then we plug in their good stories and their, and their fond memories and all those things and really kind of just, just uh, personalize it to the, to the person that passed away. And so anyways, I get a call from this family, uh, and they said, uh, would you like to do this funeral? And I had a very, very busy week, and I said, you know what? You know, I'm trying to get in this habit of, you know, it's paperwork before paperwork type of mentality. And I said, of course, you know, we'll, we'll do the funeral. Um, and I said, okay, well, it's going to be a really, really big funeral. Um, we got a lot of family. Uh, and so, but if you could do it, that'd be great. And I said, cool, let me meet with the family this afternoon. So meet with the family. And uh, they give me her name. And for this, this lady had a great legacy and she passed away and left a really great legacy for her family. Really, it's going to be a beautiful uh, celebration service was planned on being. And so uh, I plug in all the stuff and do all these things. And the day comes for uh, the funeral. And uh, my message is usually about 20 minutes, uh, super short compared to what we have on Sundays. Uh, but uh, we, I give it and it just seems like it's going super well. Like this funeral. And, and not to... Like, let me give you a peek inside my brain. If it's going well, I, like, I'm thinking in my head, like, man, Vaughn, you are killing it right now. <laughs> like, you're doing really, really well. And so, and so I, I take that, like, maybe God's going to be hand-packed. Well, for some reason, this voice entered my head. Like, Vaughn, you are just, like, you're doing a good job. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going through it. And I get up there, and, and I get up there, and this name, this lady, lady's name is Alice. And so I get up there, and I said, we're here to honor Alice. And this amazing lady who has passed away, and Alice has survived by all her family members, and Alice is always loved by her, her grandchildren, had these memories with them, and Alice loved Jesus, and Alice had a great life, and we honor and celebrate Alice's life today, and then the service was almost over, and I took a peek at the flower card that was sitting next in front of me, and I realized her name ain't Alice. 
I was an idiot. I was an idiot that morning. Some of you guys aren't laughing. You have to laugh at that. That is funny. Now, I wasn't laughing at the moment. After I apologized to the family, and the family laughed at me and said, bless your heart, which is a very southern way of saying, man, you're a big idiot. I moved on with my life. So that was a very big I'm an idiot time in my life. Uh, I'm going to share one more. This is actually from a mentor of mine, and again, it deals with a funeral service. For some reason, God likes to make things funny during a good funeral service. Like, it, it, I don't know if you guys think this, but as a pastor, we deal with life and death. I mean, that's our whole job, and so we have to have a kind of a humor as we enter a funeral service. But this one, Tom Rayner, uh, he's a mentor of mine, and he's a, a CEO of Lifeway uh, Resources, if you guys shop there. Um, really, really great guy. But he's just started ministry, and I laughed so hard when I heard this. I'm like, that can't be true. And his buddy says, no, it was true. Like, he, he should have got fired uh, for what happened. And, but he told me this story, and he says he gets in. This is his first pastor at this really, really small country church. And uh, this lady who was a pillar of the church passed away. And so the family says, hey, would you do the funeral? And he says, of course, I'll do the funeral. And so they fast forward, and he's got his sermon all prepared and all that great stuff. And before they go down the procession to enter the chapel, he turns to the funeral director and he said, hey, uh, is there any uh, traditions that you guys do in this community? As far as, you know, do I walk ahead of the casket, behind the casket? Do we say a certain prayer? For those of you guys who don't know, funerals have traditions in different communities, and we want to make sure we respect that. There's some here that we do here that we don't do in Scott's Bluff. And so we want to respect that. And so without skipping a beat, the funeral director says, yeah, as soon as you're done, you have to give the deceased a kiss. Without skipping a beat. Without sk this is a true story. And so... Pastor Tom Rayner, he's, he, he's saying, oh, yeah, for sure. No problem at all. And his head is like, my goodness, this is a weird tradition. And so he goes on, and he gives up this amazing eulogy and does all this stuff. And, and he goes there, and he says the prayer, and he turns around and lays one on the grandma that has passed away. And he was thinking, this is weird, but, man, we're hitting out of the park right now. This is going to be a good funeral service. And all of a sudden, there's gas behind him from the family section. And he turned around and saw the whole family just whiter than white. And he was, he's like, what, like, what's going on? And he looked back and see the whole funeral service, the, the directors and everything, leave the building because they're laughing so hard. That was an idiot moment. True story, true story. I can really tell right now some of you are a little uncomfortable with the whole death thing. We'll help you out with that. And trust me, we really watch how we do our stuff here. But man, it's just, there, there's idiot moments. There's idiot moments, and we're human, and we do things that are like, oh my goodness, like, what, why did I do that? Like, like that wasn't even a, like, did I, did I really say that? Did I really do that? Let me share one more with you. And this is actually from another guy um, who actually wasn't very liked at all. Um, with just like any idiot that we meet in our society, there's some that we like, we say, bless your heart, and there's some of them that are like, oh my goodness, like, you're really up there on the scale. This one uh, was a young man that no one liked. He was born in 1725. He had huge struggles, uh, like massive issues in his life. Well, when he turned 20, uh, he thought, hey, you know, I'm going to go work for a slave ship, shipping slaves back and forth. So he joined uh, this slavery trade, and uh, he gained a nickname for himself called the Great Blasphemer. The Great Blasphemer, which, by the way, is not a good nickname. You don't want that nickname for you. And he was the worst of the worst. I mean, he was, a, he was a raging drunk. He was super immoral in every area of his life. Uh, he was hateful. Uh, I mean, have you guys heard, like, you cuss like a sailor? 
Like, he embodied that to the core. He embodied that to the core. In fact, there's a quote from his captain from the ship that he said this. He says this, I quote. He says, not only did he use worse language I've ever heard, he created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. This is how bad this guy was. He was the worst of the worst. This dude was just bad, and he was hated. In fact, he was so hated. I read this story about him. He was so hated that he got drunk this one night. He fell overboard on his ship, and instead of his crewmates throwing a life preserver to him, they threw spears. That should tell you you're not very liked. Well, somehow he got on the ship, and, and, and he still wasn't changing. He was still like the great blasphemer. He had this horrible nickname. And so the captain got so tired of him and had enough, he stripped him naked and flogged him eight dozen times. Eight dozen times. And he still did not change. Still did not change. Then one night, this horrible uh, storm came across the ship, and, and, and it's just rocking back and forth, and everyone's kind of clinging on for dear life. And the only friend that he had in his life got washed overboard to never be seen again. And then something changed, and out came out of his mouth was, God, would you have mercy on us all? God, would you have mercy on us all? And from that time on, the captain said it was almost like something just switched in him, that he was like a changed man because he survived that storm. He started reading the Bible and he eventually gave his life to Christ. This guy, an idiot above all idiots, the great blasphemer, was the guy known as John Newton, who wrote perhaps one of the most famous hymns of all time, Amazing Grace. That is the guy who wrote this song. It blows my mind, really, if you think about who authors, who's the penmanship behind the words that we sing for hundreds of years. Isn't it crazy who God uses to advance his gospel? And this guy, he decided to use John Newton. This guy was an idiot, the great blasphemer, and wrote the famous hymn of all time. I want to kind of just read the first section of lyrics, if you guys kind of want to read with me. It's on your message guide notes. But it says this, it says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. It gives a whole new meaning to the word wretch, doesn't it? It's to save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace. Everyone say grace. Come on, church. Everyone say grace. grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Today we're looking at the hymn of amazing grace, and as, as we look at this, I'm going to kind of forewarn you, today's going to kind of have more of a, an Easter vibe, if that's okay with you. I know we celebrated Easter a couple of weeks ago, but as I was preparing for this, it's kind of reiterating some of the things that we just talked about. And really, if you really think about our Christian life, it's kind of a one long Easter story in itself, isn't it? Like we were dead at one point, but then we were crucified with Christ, we were baptized, we were raised back again, and now we have this new life with Christ. And so I would argue that our whole life is kind of a, a long Easter story in itself. And so today we're going to kind of go there. And my prayer and my hope is that we would understand with our thinking as we look at Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 starting at chapter, uh, verse 1. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. And this section of scripture is the section we'll camp out for the rest of the time this morning. So I actually have one scripture we're going to be looking at. Can everyone say amen this morning? You weren't, the one time you're not supposed to say amen. I'll just keep going. I'll just, I'll just keep going. Whatever. But what we're going to be looking at is Ephesians chapter 2. And what makes this section of verse 
even better is that while it explains what amazing grace is all about, you should look at the author who wrote Ephesians chapter 2. Because his life was very similar to John's. He was a really bad guy. And I'm going to talk about that towards the end of service. But Paul, he's writing this, and he gets his thoughts in chapter 2 that really tries to grasp the amazing grace of God. And he's trying to show his readers just how good God is. And, and to kind of keep it easy to understand, I'm going to kind of call this the simple gospel, if you will. I'm going to give you all three of my points right from the get-go, and we're going to talk about each one. Because each one is found in Ephesians chapter 2, and so I'm going to kind of give you a head start here. But the simple gospel, Ephesians 2, in a nutshell, go, kind of goes like this. The first one is called, You Were. Everyone say, You Were. You were. Paul shows us who we were before Christ. As followers of Christ, we know that we, the person that we are today, is not the same person that we were before Christ, or at least shouldn't be. That actually, through Christ, we are changed. And so the first one's called you were, but then Paul shows us a theme of but God. Everyone say, but God. But God. You see, we were, but then God intervened. You know, this is, this is kind of my life, and I bet you this is a lot of your life. It seems like we're kind of trailing off in our direction, but God did something. But God showed up. But God spoke into our life. But God brought restoration. But God brought healing. Let me tell you this morning, there's a lot of stories here that include the phrase, but God. And so Paul is saying, you were, but God. This third one's called, by grace. Everyone say, by grace. By grace. You were this, but God showed up and intervened by his grace. By his grace. And I believe that's the simple gospel. If you can memorize those three phrases, you can explain the gospel fully. You were, but God, by grace. So let's start with you were. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul lays it out right here that we get into. of talking about who we were. And some of us this morning, maybe this is who we are today. I want that sink in for a little bit. Maybe the who we were, maybe that's some of us that we are today. We haven't had that transformation moment. And let me tell you this. God loves you so much, he does not want to leave you the same. He wants to change you fully and completely. So this is who we were. This is who I was. Uh, this is who every believer in this room was. This is what it says. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. If you believe Jesus, you know that we were dead, and today that we're not dead, we're actually made alive. But then he goes on in verse 3, and this is really kind of gets into the nitty-gritty here. Verse 3 says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were in the nature of deserving wrath. So Paul right here says, you were. What does he mean by you were? He's saying, you were dead in your sins. In fact, you were not a good person. I know that's really hard to hear. I even hate saying that. But I, would let, I have to let you know how the gospel really works. Because Paul says, hey, do you know what? Before Christ, when you're born in this world, you are not a good person. And in fact, you naturally go to your sinful desires, the things that don't please God. That what you do by nature does not glorify God. I mean, welcome to the Rock Church where we try to make you feel good about yourself, right? Like it, 
But this is how God works. This is what he does. I mean, to put it plainly, as we discussed on Easter, none of us are good naturally. In fact, we played this game. A lot of you were here. We played the game of raise your hands. We said, you know, if you stole something, would you raise your hand? If you told a lie, would you raise your hand? If you had a lustful thought, you know, give me a wink or a raise your eyebrow because that one's a little bit awkward. Um, but if you ever hated someone, uh, God calls that murder in your heart, uh, raise your hand. And more times than not, every single person that Sunday, and I would say every person here this morning, you would raise your hand. And I want to let you know is by nature, by nature, we are not good. We're not good. And there's some of us in this room, just by talking like this, you're starting to feel that little uneasiness, maybe a little guilty. And I want to let you know really quick this morning, that guilt is not a bad thing. That guilt is not a bad thing. In fact, uh, let me put it this way. You can write this down. Guilt is a great starting point towards grace. Guilt is the starting point towards grace. In fact, uh, if you take guilt, you can let it become conviction, and conviction brings repentance before God, and God forgives you. That's what happens if you let guilt take place and let it go towards conviction. But, 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 if you don't go that direction, the guilt will sit in you and become toxic and become condemnation. And then you're going to start hearing words like, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. Who do you think you are? You're less than. You're not adequate. And so I want to let you know this morning that guilt you're, you're feeling right now, you need to do something with it. Because if you ignore it and let it sit, it becomes toxic and causes pollution in your life. But if you take it, bring it to God, it turns to conviction. Conviction brings repentance. Repentance brings forgiveness. Forgiveness brings life into your life. And so I want us to start there because Paul is saying right here, to start off, when we were born, none of us are good. In fact, John Noon, he, he knew all about this guilt. After all, I mean, he was the great blasphemer, right? He did some horrible stuff. I mean, not only did he speak bad, not only did he act bad, but I mean, he did some bad things. I mean, he had to have been a bad person if his own friends were saying, hey, instead of throwing you a life jacket, I'm going to try to kill you. Like, take a sign, you need to get new friends. It's not good. And even John knew it. He realized who he was that night when the storm came over the ship. He said, Lord, would you have mercy on us all? I, I kind of, if you can kind of peel back the layers a little bit, he was kind of saying, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I want to say this morning, we have to realize who we were. You were a sinner, in need of a savior. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Which for those of us, those of us who know that we have sinned, we've done bad things, that's really good news. You know why? Because it says in scripture that Jesus, who did he come for? He didn't come for the perfect. He didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for the rich. But he came to those who were oppressed, who were sick, who were sinful. That's who Jesus came for. And this is why it breaks my heart when we have church every single Sunday and people come in acting like everything's all good. Like we put up this front and saying, you know what, pastor, I'll, I'll, hear, I'll hear the worship. Worship was good. I'll hear your message. Might even shout down a few amens if it makes you happy. I'll put a little money in the plate as it goes by and I'll just see you next Sunday. 
I'm going to tell you, you did not experience Jesus this morning if you did that. And I know that hurts, and I know even as a pastor, it seems like every Sunday should be happy, joy, joy, happy, unicorns and rainbows and all that stuff. But this time in this moment should be the moment where you lay down the things of this week in front of God and say, Lord, I need your help. I'm desperate for you. And in fact, if I can step on toes just a little bit more, we should be doing that every single day in our homes and have church where we're at. And that's why Paul's saying you have to realize who you were. Because if you think that you were good back then, you haven't experienced Jesus yet. But if you knew that you were dead in the midst of your transgressions, if you knew that you sinned and you know that you are a sinner, you know that you need a Savior, and that is good news. Because Jesus wants to do that work in your life. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But God. But God. I don't know if this is sinking in yet. I don't think it is. Because when God intervenes, everything changes. Or at least it should. When God intervenes, the way you look at this life is flipped upside down. When God intervenes and you allow him in every room of your life, things are radically different. See, we're sinners, but God. But God. My prayer is this morning is that you're going to have a but God moment. Some of you maybe are lost and confused in this life. Some of you are kind of just going through it mundanely. But God is going to show you a brand new way. Some of you are hurting and you're empty, but God is going to fill you with his spirit this morning. Some of you are so wrapped up in your addictions and your habits, but God is going to try to bring some freedom into your life. I mean, come on, church. Is this hitting home for a little bit? Because this is what we need. We need but God moments where we're going through this life, but God brings us in a different direction. This is what the but God moment is all about. You were but God. If the band can come up. I want to look at the author of the story because he had a massive but God moment. The author of this story is a guy by the name of Paul who was known as Saul. And his main job was persecuting Christians before he met Jesus. Now let me kind of uh, put this, and it's really hard to say this because Paul, he was, he was the author of two-thirds of the New Testament. But I want us to tune in here. I really want you to see who he's writing and see the radical, amazing grace of God. Paul his job was to persecute Christians. Persecute is a nice, kind of nice sugarcoating way of saying he killed Christians for a living. He killed Christians for a living. Uh, I, would, I would even go this far. He was kind of like the modern day ISIS of what we have today. He would come into your homes. He would put a bag over your head. He would kidnap you, take you in front of an entire village, and he'd put a knife to your throat and say, deny your Christ or else you and your whole household's going to die. That was his job. He got paid to do that. He hated Christians to the core. He even hated Jesus to the core. He didn't want nothing to do with this. He wanted to stop everything that was happening. And so he'd get this family, and he'd set them there, and he says, deny your Christ. And if they wouldn't deny Jesus, instead of slicing their heads off with a quick move with a sharp knife, he would actually stone them to death. He would have everyone in the village stone them to death. Now we're thinking, well, that doesn't sound that bad. Well, let me tell you what it looks like. 
I had to take a world class in college, and we had to watch a stoning. Because believe it or not, most of the world still operates in this system. And so we watched, and it was a fast-forwarded version, and there was this young gal over in India. And she got saved, and she loved Jesus, and she went home and told her family, thinking, oh, my goodness, my family, they're going to get saved, and all this great stuff is going to happen. And let, let, let me tell you, they were not happy. In fact, death was the punishment for becoming a Christian in that village. So what they did is they marched her into the village square, and they made her dig a big hole. And they made her stand in it, and they would tell her, forsake your Jesus. Deny Jesus, and then you can go home, be with your family, and we can forget like this ever happened. And she did it. She stood her ground. I mean, this girl was like 15, 16 years old. She stood her ground. And then one by one, the villagers found a big rock and began throwing at her. And it was a four-hour-long process killing this young girl. This is what Paul did for a living. This is what he did. But God. You see, Paul was on his way to go do a few things that he was called to do. And he was going there and he was probably just seething at the teeth, just hating Jesus and all his Christians and want nothing and probably trying to figure out the next way to really set an example to the, all the other little Christians out there to not be a Christian and to deny it and actually follow the Jewish faith. And he was probably figuring that out. And all of a sudden, a bright light came and knocked him off his horse and saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? You see, that was Paul's but God moment. Because but God moments are so powerful that it blinded Paul. And the voice told him, says, you need to go to Ananias' house. And Ananias is going to teach you a few things. And so they go there. I mean, can you imagine Ananias being in this? Ananias is a believer. And here's Paul, the murderer of Christians. And Jesus tells him, Ananias, you need to pray for his healing. You need to lay your hands on him. And you need to pray for him. The guy that was going to come into your town and to kill you. I mean, you think of but God moments, church. I, 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 I'm praying this seeks into your spirit this morning because our area, North Platte, needs a but God moment. There are people, there are so many people who don't know Jesus and his love and the but God moment that they can have in his life. Did you know out of the 20-some thousand people, only about 6,000 of these people actually call themselves Christians? I mean, that... It leaves like 15,000 people who don't know Jesus. And they need that but God moment. And our job as the church is to go out there and try to bring more people into heaven than the people who are going to hell. That is our job, to bring that but God moment to their life. Just as Paul experienced this but God moment in his life, he went to Ananias' house and he got prayed and the scales fell off his eyes and all of a sudden his life was flipped upside down. I mean, come on, church. You talk, we talk about God's grace, but I don't think we have an, an idea of what God's grace is really all about. I mean, his grace is not just simply to cover your sins. His grace is the power source of how you live in this life. And that you should be filled so much of it that you should overflow into it. That is the amazing grace. 
That's the amazing grace that we sing. Well, that's the amazing grace that John Newton wrote. That's the amazing grace that we need. I mean, this is what Paul did. This is what John Newton experienced. You were but God. Last one, by grace. Everything that we are able to do this morning is by God's grace. You can't do it on your own. You can't buy enough. You can't find enough strength. It's all by God's grace. That's the only way this happens. I mean, look at verse 4. But God, so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the, from the grave, from the dead, the by grace. In the Old Testament, they had this celebration called the Passover. What they would do, how it started is that they're in Egypt and they were told to put the uh, blood of a spotless lamb of a young ewe and to put it over their doorposts. And so they would come out there and they'd get the big hyssop branch and they'd put the blood over the top and some of it would drip to the bottom and they would cover the top and the bottom and then they would put some on the sides. And really, if you would step back, it was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do. The blood that was going to be shed, not for him, but for your benefit, the grace that he was going to bring. In the New Testament, Jesus actually displayed that on the cross. There was blood on the top, streaming down to the bottom, blood on both sides, because his blood, by grace, covers you. This is what this is all about, church. But the only difference is this one, is that the Lamb of God, he did not stay dead. He rose again. He defeated the grave. And it was because of a you were but God by grace moment. You were but God by grace. Will you guys stand? I'm going to share just a few little stories here. And we're going to go into this song, Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. But I want you guys to sing out this morning, not because I'm asking you to, not because we just want to have a really great ending to this. I mean, we want that. But I want you guys to experience a but God moment in your life this morning. Because all throughout Scripture, this is how God works. I mean, there was a woman that was drug out in the streets, thrown at Jesus' feet. And they said, you know what? You need to stone her. She was caught in adultery. And one by one, they started to leave because Jesus began writing something in the sand. A lot of philosophers think he started writing out people's sins of all the Pharisees there. And they began to leave one by one by one by one. And he took the woman, lifted her up and says, where are your accusers? Where are they at? And she says, sir, they're not here. And he says, you know what? Go off and sin no more. That was a you were but God by grace moment. There's a story of a father that had two sons. One of the sons, he was so full of himself. He says, do you know what? Dad, since you're not dead yet, I still want your inheritance. I think I deserve it. And so because of the God's love for his son, he gave him his inheritance. He went to the city, squandered it all, found himself in a pigsty eating slop with the pigs. And he says, why am I doing this when my father's servants are even eating better than I am right now? And so he marched his way back to the father's house, expecting condemnation. But instead, he received grace. It says that the father was outside waiting for him to come over the hill. And as soon as he saw him, he ran at me and kissed him, put the signet ring on his finger, put a robe and clothed him with the finest garment. He says, you know what, go kill the fattest calves because we're having a party tonight. Because my son has come home. That was a you were but God moment. The sinner on the cross, church, the sinner on the cross, he couldn't do anything to save himself. 
He couldn't give. He couldn't go to church. He couldn't flip over a new leaf. He was stuck on a cross. But he simply realized that he was a sinner in need of a Savior. And he had a you were but God by grace moment. This is what this is about. And maybe you're here and you've done something you're not proud of. Maybe you had an argument this morning that you need God's grace in. Maybe you've done something a long time ago that you haven't really addressed yet. Maybe you're here with addiction and, 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 and all the bad habits and you need to fix that this morning. Let me tell you, any of this stuff you cannot do by yourself because that's who you were. But God wants to come in and intervene and by his grace restore you. This is what God wants to do. This is what the Christian life is all about. You were but God by grace. I'm telling you right now, because of God's grace, that can all change right now. By grace. And so we're going to go back into this song, saying, my chains are gone, I'm set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. We're going to sing this, and if you need prayer, I'm going to be right here up front. But I want you guys to see, I mean, I, I, if I can just be a little transparent, I don't want to see just your hands just sitting there like that and just saying, okay, well, that was good. I want you to press in this morning, church. I want you to press in this morning. I want, not only, God wants you to press in. He wants you to press in. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. My God, my Savior, he's ransomed me. So can we sing our praises this morning? If you need prayer, I'll be right here up front. But in the meantime, let's lift our hands and sing this song. Amen.